Good morning. Worship team, thank you for drawing us into the presence of God to reflect on his great love. Pray with me. Father, we we come to this moment and I just think of the passage in Corinthians that you had me in this week, 1 Corinthians 13, and just reflecting on love. What a great way for us to to start as we look at Luke 15, just being shared in the worship time, that of the prodigal son. And just thinking of, of your goodness towards us, your mercy, your grace, your pursuit. God, we want to understand that. We want to understand that not just so we have some kind of knowledge of what it means when someone says agape in the scriptures. or We want to understand it by experiencing that, by relationship with you. That's what transforms. That's what changes. So as we read the scriptures this morning, as we're in the study, as we worship in the word, the revelation you've given to us when Paul is writing to us about love, I pray that it connects to the deep place, that deep place in each of us that just longs for experiencing what true love is. So Holy Spirit, teach us, help us. In Christ's name we ask this, Father. Amen. I want to start where Gina was because just as I was praying and reflecting about what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 13, I want us to keep this in the forefront of our mind because Corinthians can, it can turn into an academic study. Like we can get into the scripture and we can say, okay, let's talk about love and, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be like, there's four types of Greek words that talk about love and we're going to break it all down and we're going to be like, yeah, I gained some knowledge today. But it's not about head knowledge. It's, it, Christ wants to connect with your heart. Like he wants to connect in that deep place, that hidden place. And so if we come out of here learning some things, that's good. But if we come out of here experiencing the love of the Father because we understand the love that we are experiencing, that's better. So think about this in the forefront of your mind. Keep this there. The son rose, came to his father, and gives all of his excuses. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says to the servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring the ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, he says, for this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They threw a party. They started to rejoice in the relationship that was restored. In the beginning of that parable, 
When the son says, Father, give me my inheritance. I want to go and make my own way. He's saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my stuff now. And it seems minor as we read it, but how hurtful those words must feel to a father's heart. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could get my stuff. Can I just have it now? And what does the father do? He says, take it. Go ahead. Take this and go. And he watches and he waits for him and he longs for him. And when he returns, he restores him. That's love, long-suffering, compassionate, kind, merciful, full of grace, just wanting the best, even when rejected, still longs for the other. And that's what Paul is going to talk to us about in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it to 1 Corinthians 13. This will be our text for today. And we're going to connect this to, to ourselves as we continue our series, Walking in Victory, what does it look like to walk in Christ in victory? Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now, in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord for us. In verses 1 and 2, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul's transitioning from this idea of spiritual gifts that the church was using and misusing, and they were building themselves up in a way that was self-seeking. It wasn't for one another. 
It wasn't looking out for the other person. So he wants us to think of a more excellent way. He wants us to think of love. He says, so if I have these gifts, he just starts bringing them out. And usually the gifts that are more showy, the, the, the ones that where you're speaking, the prophetic gifts, the, the tongue gifts, those are the more showy here in the day-to-day of gathering life. He says, if I have this, but I'm not doing these in love, I'm nothing. He says, I'm like uh, a, a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. He wants us to know that everything we do, everything we do in the Christian life is done from a spirit and an attitude of love. It's not about the gifts. He's like, the gifts are good. We pursue those things and they build us up and they edify the church. Those things are good. But what we want ultimately is to walk in love. We want to reflect Christ. John 13.35, if you ever wondered where Jeff came up with 13.35 for our youth ministry, this is it. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do they know? Because you have these gifts? No, because you have love. Because you care for one another. Genuinely care for one another. Look out for each other. Build each other up. (laughs) Help each other. Rebuke at times, but in a loving way, discipline one another. These are all good things. Romans 12, 10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like, I'm going to outdo you. Like, someone's like, I'm going to take you out for coffee. I'm going to take you out for breakfast. It's like, well, I'm going to take you out for... Have you ever seen uh, the, the Wisconsin nice guy? He's like, oh, hey there, you know, you got a thing in your gutter. Oh, I'll get it for you. Don't want you falling off the ladder there. I'll take care of it. Have you guys seen that guy? Well, he, there's a short where he and his neighbor are like trying to out-nice each other. And they just keep one-upping. You know, and the guy's like, well, I'm going to cut this uh, tree down for you. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I already did that. And next thing you know, the guy's like, I got you a car. Oh, I got you a house. And I got, you know, they're just back and forth. They're outdoing one another with this brotherly love and kindness. They're thinking of the other. John 15, 12. Every branch. Oh, you have 15, 2. Do I need to go to John? Yeah, I'll, I'll go to John. We'll correct that for the next one. Bible drill. Now you've got to stand up really fast if you got it. John 15. <laughs> what did I say? 12. <laughs> did you beat me? Thank you. Yeah, computer's faster than my fingers. Okay. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. You love one another. Jesus says... This is what I want you to do. And when you're not loving one another, you're walking in sin because it's a commandment from the Lord himself. Love one another. The way that the Heavenly Father loves us, the way that Christ loves us, love one another. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Reflecting on the love of God in those songs and how he loved us, how he came for us, the love he had for us, we should love one another in that way. We should look out for one another. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly. It's not show. 
That means we have to grow a lot, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard. But we're, we're being transformed into the love of God, into the love of Christ. We start to earnestly desire good for one another the way the, in the story of the prodigal son, the father is looking for the son even though he was rejected by the son. He's looking for him to come back. He's earnestly wanting him to be back in relationship. That's what we want. We want relationship with one another, and sometimes it's hard. So spiritual gifts, Paul's saying here in the beginning, are meaningless without love. You know, the noisy gong, the clanging cymbal. Uh, have you ever watched the old westerns? I, okay, so my dad loved old westerns. I watched a bunch of them with him. There's always the scene where the wagon's out of control, and it's going down the hill, right? And then everybody's like, watch out. And like, you hear it coming, like, down the mountain, and it's like, you know, and the horses are cut loose, and, and the guy's like, someone's riding up, and the person's jumping off the wagon right before it goes off the ravine, you know, like, and it's just this loud noise. This, you hear the wagon coming. Have you ever noticed that wagons are louder the emptier they are? There's a reverberation in them, and like these wagons, he's like, you're like a noisy wagon. And the louder you are, the more empty we see that you are. Don't be a noisy wagon. <laughs> Don't be climbing down this hill, going down this hill, making a big show. He says that's meaningless. He says, don't be a, a, a clanging gong or a cymbal. It made me think of that stupid monkey toy. Ting, 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 you know? Whoever invented that, well, I don't know. Like, he, he's... He's dead now, but, you know, made a ton of money off something stupid, you know. And it was it do? It's just irritating. And what's going to happen this Christmas? You know, Grandma and Grandpa in here, all of those of you that are grandparents, you know, you're, you bought that toy already that makes all those weird noises, didn't you? And you're like, I can't wait till they open that one. <laughs> yeah, my parents send those toys, and we were like, yeah, no batteries are going in that. <laughs> Why? It's noisy. It's, it's just sound. It's nothing. There's no love there. He's saying, if this is how the gifts are being used, it's meaningless. It doesn't build up. It doesn't edify. It doesn't bring us closer to one another and closer to Jesus. See, the Corinthians missed the motive and, the, and they missed the goal of the gifts. They made themselves the goal. So Paul says, let's think about the goal. The goal is love. The goal is love. There's four different kinds of love that he could have written about in the Greek. Here's the education part. Number one is eros. The, this is erotic or sexual love. Now, this is not necessarily bad. When it gets out and it's twisted and it's bad, usually porneia is the word that is used, and that's where we get our word pornography. But eros is a erotic, sexual love. There's another word he could have used is storge. This is a, a family love. This is that time of year where we get family. Oh, I got to, you know, this idea of blood is thicker than water and we love our family and it's that, it's meaningful. I can rip on my family, but how dare you do that? Like, you're not allowed to do that. It's my family. I love them. They know that I'm kidding with them. That's my, I have a love for my family. That's this storge, this Family love. A love between a parent and a child is another illustration of that. And so he could have used that word, but he doesn't. He could have used philia. Philia is where we get the, 
word brotherly love. Uh, so we have our city, Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. This is a, a kinship, a coming together. Uh, one of the best places in Scripture that we really see this uh, met out is with David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Those guys loved each other. They looked out for each other. They cared for each other. They were together. They had a partnership. That's that's brotherly love. And Jesus even uses this word with Peter when he restores Peter. So he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And one of those times he says, Peter, do you philia me? Are you my boy? Are we together? We have a partnership? And he's like, Lord, you know we do. Paul doesn't use that one. He uses this word, agape. Now, agape, it is a love that loves without changing. So think of our father and the prodigal son here. It's a love without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. This is how Paul says we are to be with each other. This is how the gifts are to be worked, in this attitude of the heart. This is why the gifts build up and encourage the church. This is why the gifts purify the church. This is why it edifies so nicely, because it draws people to Christ. It draws people together. With this attitude of concern for one another, there's great care. And so he's saying the gifts without love are, are meaningless. He says here, like, you can move mountains. I have all faith that moves mountains. But without love, he says, that is meaningless. One commentary said this, and, and I thought it was, it was pretty interesting. He said, uh, a, a man of faith may move mountains, but he will inevitably place them in front of someone else, or worse, on someone else, if he does not have love. <laughs> praying to move that mountain and dropping it right in your way. It's like, well, look, God blessed me. It's like, yeah, but you didn't bless this guy. Or worse, dropping it on them. Verse 3, Paul goes on to say to us, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So some early Christians believed that the highest calling of a disciple was to be martyred. They thought that this was a way of showing extreme devotion to the Lord, that, that if I gave my life in such a way that I would be martyred, that was the highest calling one could have. And, it, and there was that thought that this for sure would secure eternal life. If you were fully committed to, to the Lord, that you would lose your life for him. We are all called to lay down our life for, for Christ. But this is a misplaced understanding of loving God. Tertullian wrote it this way in the same idea about sacrifice. He says, it's our battle to be summoned to your tribunals uh, that there, under fear of execution, we may battle for truth. But the day is one when the object of the struggle is, is gained. 
this victory of ours gives us the glory of pleasing God and the spoil of eternal life. What he's talking about is Philippians 1.21, when Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Tertullian, the one who coined that word Trinity for us, he's the theologian that gives us that, that terminology. He says, the highest thing we can do is go and fight for the truth of the gospel and give our lives. Yeah, we give our lives to the Lord. We lay them down, we submit them, we take up our cross, and we follow him. If that leads some of us to martyrdom, then that's where it leads us. But we are to walk in love. That's what Paul's saying. If you give up your life, you just give it up, well, that's with, without any result. It, you gain nothing. You just you give it away, well, you gain nothing with that. You're to love and, and live in such a way that others are coming to Christ. Paul would say that if we're here, we're working to see people come know him. We're loving them well. We want people to know him. And if I go, then I receive Christ. I, Paul has the right attitude. That should be our attitude. Even today, I would say that we don't have that same kind of thought that the greatest thing to do is to go and, and die a martyr's death. But even today, many Christians believe that the Christian life is all about suffering and sacrifice. That's what it's about, suffering and sacrifice. I just go around and, you know, God is good, but it's so hard. I, I like to call them Eeyore Christians. Oh, well, I suffered again today for the Lord. Jesus is good. It's, he wants us to have joy. We walk in love. We walk in the fullness of of Christ, yes, it, there is suffering. Yes, there is sacrifice. But there should be a joy that comes with walking with him, a joy in understanding how to walk in love. So sacrificing your money, sacrificing your life, something that's just how we live. That's, we just give it away, give it away, so that you know we're just showing our devotion. Sacrifice is important. But to do so without love, Paul says, it profits you nothing. It's useless. Verses 4 through 7, he, he talks through love. And I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm just going to actually just read through this. And, and here's what I'm going to ask. As we read through this list, does this characterize you? Would you say, this is me? Yep. If I inserted your name in here, would, would we laugh or would we be like, oh yeah, that's you? <laughs> Some of these, I think we, if I said your name and said what comes after, you, you might be like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not me. So think of it that way. And where it's not us, this is what God wants us to be. This is what he's calling us to. He says, this is how we should be. I could put Jesus' name in here and it fits perfectly. We would say yes. So here's the list. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way or self-seeking. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, 
It rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. So as Paul's talking about this list, I mean, think about it. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not arrogant. He is not rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. He is not irritable. He is not resentful. He doesn't rejoice in the wrongdoing. He rejoices in the truth. Jesus bore all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endured all things. How would your name fit? How would your name fit? I know there's areas where I read it. Like, I, I mean, just the one as I was reading through it, I just kind of laughed in my own mind because I, uh, on my number eight, love is not irritable. <laughs> yeah, if you're around the house, dad has a nickname. He's called Grouchy Bear. <laughs> what does that mean? It means I have, I'm irritable. I read it, I'm like, yeah, I got to work on that one. But I can justify it with a cute nickname, Grouchy Bear. Hey, I'm just, you know, there's a Grouchy Bear today. It's like, yeah, but I'm not walking in love. That's the point. Paul's saying we're, we're to walk in love. Love bears all things. I want to I look at this last section. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All things means all things. Like, in everything. So love covers. That's what bears all things means. It covers. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. It bears all things. It covers. So the idea is this, like in your life, when there is an irritation that comes into your life, we're to be like an oyster. What happens when a grain of sand gets into an oyster? Any of you kids know what happens when a grain of sand gets into an oyster shell? How does the oyster take care of it? No? I thought you were raising your hands. You're like, no, don't call on me. Okay. Anybody know? What does the oyster do when a grain of sand gets into the shell? Any of you adults want to help? Oh, you got it. What happens? turns it into a pearl. He secretes a, like a, a chemical that starts to wrap it up and he starts to just take that irritation and cover it. And he keeps covering it and covering it and covering it until it's smooth. And for us, it becomes something unique and precious. We're like, wow, like, look at this pearl. It's beautiful. He takes something that's an irritation and makes it beautiful. And it doesn't become an irritation to him anymore. So covering and bearing all things is when we have this in our lives, when we have people and circumstances in our lives, we are loving in such a way that we start to cover it. We start to come around it. We start to work it to where we turn it into something beautiful. It doesn't stay there as an irritation. It gets transformed. We're covering. And so this idea... I think, bears out in our close relationships really well, if you think of it that way. Covering one another, is, is, it's not talking bad about the other person. It's not tearing them down. It's not talking about how they irritate you. It's not talking about the thing they did this week that was so just silly or stupid. Like, 
it's covering them. It's respectful. It's, it's watching out for them. And it's continuing to build up. And it's taking away that hurt and making it something good. So we cover. Love believes all things. Now, this is not believing lies. Believes all things means looking for the best in one another. Love believes all things. I believe in the best in you. If you have Christ, I know that that Holy Spirit in you is capable of doing some miraculous transformational things, and I'm going to believe the best in that. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to bear with you, and I'm going to believe all things. I'm going to look for the best. This idea of, why do you put up with somebody so long? Because of this. I'm looking for God in them. I'm looking for God working. I believe that God's working. I see it. So I'm going to bear with them a little longer, a little longer. I believe all things. I, I look for the best in them. Love hopes all things. Now this is a hope of a future. This is a hope for better. This is a hope that is not defeated. What does this mean? It means that we may be in a bad situation this moment. Our relationship may be garbage right now. It is just not happening. But you know what? I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to cover that sin. I'm going to keep bearing with you. I'm going to keep hoping in you. And, I, and then what? And then I am going to have this hope, or I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to hope in you. That hope is that where we are right now is not where we have to be tomorrow. Christ can transform this. He can work in this. Love says, I hope in Christ that tomorrow is better than today because he's acting and working and moving. So I have a hope of your future in a relationship with me. Like, I have a hope that it's going to be a great relationship down the road. Why? Not because of us, but because of what God does in us. Why do we, why do people, I should say, in this world go to counselors? Why do we go seek wisdom and go, because we hope tomorrow is better? Well, the ultimate hope comes in Christ. The ultimate hope, the ultimate transformation is in Him, it's in His love. And so we say, yeah. If I'm loving like Christ, I'm going to hope for a better future. I'm going to hope in a way that I am not defeated. It's not over until the Lord calls us back or he returns. It's not over. So you're thinking about the the relationship you're in right now with maybe a spouse, or you're thinking about a relationship with a coworker, or you're thinking about somebody in your family because it's the holidays and they're coming over. Hey, you're thinking about that. Hey, it's not over. Or maybe you're thinking about that loved one that's on their deathbed, that, that father, the mother, the grandparent, that's, and they've always been hard to live with, and they've always just been belligerent. It's not over. Love hopes. It's not over. There can be a better moment coming. Love endures all things. It doesn't give up. It just doesn't give up. The father and the prodigal son, he does not give up. He just keeps looking and hoping and enduring and, and bearing. 
So Paul goes on to verse 15. He says, love never ends. It never ends. Galatians 5, 22 through 26 say this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I like to think of this all as one fruit coming out of love. You can think of it in different ways, but um, I look at this as the fruit of the Spirit is love. And love is all of these aspects. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us walk with Christ the way that he loves us. Let's reflect him. Paul gives that same, the same thought that we're talking about in Corinthians. He gives that same thought to the church in Galatia. What is important is how we love one another how we extend grace, how we build up in truth, how we reflect Christ. Verses 8 through 10, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and that is Christ, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I went through 11, sorry. 8 through 10. The gifts are good. And they work on our behalf to grow love. I want you to understand that. The gifts, when used properly, grows love in the fellowship. We're all growing in love. We're growing in grace. We're being built up. So the gifts are good. They help us grow in love. But there will come a time when the gifts are no longer needed And love being perfected will remain. So what is the perfect that Paul talks about? It's it's Christ. It's the return of Christ. Some believe that it's when the New Testament was finished and so we don't need gifts because we have the New Testament. They say, oh, this is the perfect. That's not the context that we're reading. Paul's not saying, and when the perfect, when the scriptures are written, he's not talking about the scriptures. He's talking about Jesus himself. The, The word made flesh He's talking about Christ, and he says, when he comes, then we won't need these gifts because we will be with him. We will see him. This idea of the perfect being telion or telios is the Greek word, perfect, but it also means reach the end goal or completed or being perfected. So the word perfect is used in other places, meaning we have reached our end goal. We have made the perfection. We have made what was set out to go for. And in those passages where these, this word is used in the Greek, all speak of the second coming of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to read all these, but I have a list for you. 1 Corinthians 1.8, James 5.11, Revelation chapter 20, verse 5 and 7, Revelation 21.6, Revelation 22.13. All of these use that Greek word, Telios about the perfection, the ending goal, and then they all speak to the second coming. So that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, when the perfect comes, when the end comes, Christ is with us. Will we need to prophesy? No, we'll have Christ. Will we need these gifts? No, we will be with him. So verses 11 and 12, he goes, goes on to say, 
to us. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, know fully, even as I have been fully known. For now we see a poorly reflected image. That's what he's saying. Right now, we don't see it perfectly. We don't see it perfectly right now. But when Jesus returns, those gifts are overshadowed by his actual presence. They, they pass away. The things that we're prophesying about are right in front of us. The things that we are encouraging one another in, he is right in front of us. We see him. We behold him perfectly. Think of it this way, on a summer day, when we have those in Wisconsin, on a summer day when the sun comes up, you turn off the lights in the house. You don't need them. It gives light to the whole house. When Christ comes, we have no need for these gifts. They are fulfilled in him. He talks about this face-to-face, seeing him face-to-face. This means complete, unhindered fellowship with God. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. When we are with him, we shall see him as he is. No more barriers, nothing between us, nothing between us, face to face, There will be nothing that hinders our relationship with Christ. Here he says, I will know fully. Now, he's he's saying, I will know God as perfectly as I can in that moment. He doesn't mean that I'm going to be all-knowing like God, but as perfectly as I can, I will know him. So God will continue to deepen our relationship with him. There will be no barriers there, no hindrances. Ephesians 2.7 says this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? In the ages he might show the immeasurable riches, the ages to come in heaven. He's going to continue to show us more of himself. We will come to understand more and more of God. The longer we are with him, he is unfathomable. He is without end. We cannot imagine the depth. So when we stand before him, we will fully know him as best as we can in that moment, but he will continue to further a relationship with us and he will continue to show us the riches of his grace and kindness towards us through the Son. He's like, you thought that was awesome. Let me show you this. Oh, you think that's good? Now let me show you this. And he's going to do that for all eternity, the ages to come. He's going to continue to show us the depth of his kindness and his riches and his mercy and his love towards us. So we will be growing in relationship for all eternity with God. So verse 13, the last verse here, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love never leaves. All through eternity, we will be in the love of God. We will be experiencing love. We will have love for him. We will have love for those in the heavenlies with us. We will be experiencing living in perfected love. Faith will be fulfilled We have faith in in the fulfillment of the scriptures. We have faith in Christ. He will return. We have faith in the gospel. It will be fulfilled. 
when he stands before us, we won't need that kind of faith. It will be fulfilled. We have a hope that Christ will return and we will be restored. When he comes, our hope is fulfilled. So what remains? Love. So Paul says, all this stuff is great. Go after love. Go after love. So how are we loving? Are we like the father in that, in that parable? Or do we have some ways to go? We all have ways to go. So the question is, how? How do you need to grow? So as we, in just a moment, take the Lord's Supper, we're, we're celebrating perfect love. We're celebrating what he did for us to, to reconcile us, to bring us into a relationship with him. Perfect love. When we were shaking our fists and yelling at God and saying, I'll do it my way, like Frank Sinatra, you know, like, did anybody get that? I just threw that out. Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, I was like, there was like no movement. I was like, all right. I was like, that's how we were, right? We wanted to do everything in our own strength, our own way, and God still pursued us, still loved us, still lavished grace on us, still was calling us. And then we came to our senses, we came to him, he falls on us, gives us a robe, puts a ring on our hands, shoes on our feet, has a celebration, kills the fatted calf for us. We celebrate perfect love at the cross for sinners. His body broken, his blood shed so that we could be redeemed. And so as we're standing here and we're reflecting on this moment, ask, God, how do you want me to be perfected in love? What does that look like? And then give thanks for what he has done here. And then let me read this out of 1 Corinthians 11, because Paul tells us to reflect on our own lives here. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He's saying don't come flippantly. Don't come in your sin and be like, thanks for the fire insurance. Thanks that I get the get-out-of-jail-free card. No, you're saying, Lord, you gave yourself, and I'm repenting of those things in my life that I shouldn't be living in. I'm not going to come and make a mockery of the cross. He says, so those who come and do that, who just come and just take the Lord's Supper without reflecting, make a mockery of the love of God. Let us not do that. He said, don't be guilty concerning the body and blood. He said, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we want to come giving thanks. We want to come praising God, worshiping, and come with that spirit of transform me more. May love abound more in my life. So I would just ask before you come, examine yourself. Ask God how to grow in love. And then come and worship by taking the Lord's table. Will you stand with me? Worship team, you can come.
back up. Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, and I thank you for how good you are. And in these next moments, we celebrate by taking the Lord's table. And Father, we, we ask that your Spirit would show us where we need to be transformed, where we need to love more. For each of us, it's going to look a little different. But God, you know each of us intimately, full well. You know where we are. You see us perfectly. And you know what you want to do in the next moments of our lives. Thank you that as we think of that list that Paul gave, Christ, you fulfill that list. And so you're bearing with us even now. And you're bringing us forward. And you're carrying us. And you're taking us to a better tomorrow by fulfilling love in us today. So God, as we come, we want to come with a spirit of worship, thinking about the perfect sacrifice, love broken, love poured out, love given, so that we could have new life and a new relationship face to face with nothing between us. So we come now celebrating the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen. When you are ready, you may come.